Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. We are here today with Tanner Crandall with Mothers Without Borders, uh, recently called to be the CEO of the uh, organization and a really good friend and a supporter of Rev Road and CB Vault. And uh, Jake and I are excited to be here with you today. Tanner, let's get started. Thank you. Yeah, excited to be with you guys. So cool. Well, um, so the first thing we ask typically on the show is tell us Mothers Without Borders. Give us the 30-second elevator pitch on what that is and what you're accomplishing. Okay. Yeah, so Mothers Without Borders has been around for a long time. Um, Our mission is to transform the lives of children who are in crisis. So we've worked over the past 30 years in 16 countries, um, but right now we focus our efforts in Zambia where there is an orphan crisis. There's a lot of places where there's an orphan crisis, but uh, we focus in Zambia where there's one in 15 people in the country is an orphan under the age of 18. And so um, if you can imagine like here, if that were happening here, uh, it's the only thing anybody would talk about, right? But because it's, it's only, one in 15, one in 15. So sad. And that's all ages, right? Uh, 18 and younger, 18 and younger. meaning if you, if you randomly pull 15 people from the, from society, you're going to have one that's an orphan under the age of 18. Infants, teens, the whole mix. Gotcha. And, uh, in a country like Zambia, where there's all sorts of problems in their economy, um, there's nobody taking care of these kids. There's, there's no government or, um, you know, society is not taking care of them well enough. And what we find is there are community leaders who pick up the slack, like miracle workers, incredible humans, grandmothers. It's mostly women and grandmothers, but there are men who jump into the cause and with no resources basically step in and they start solving problems. So what we do is we work to support these community leaders in any way that we can, and then we build programs that kind of fill in the gaps. So... um, what we actually do is, is pretty widespread. Uh, but the core of it is we're transforming the lives of kids who otherwise, you know, they live on the streets, uh, they get involved with trafficking and uh, prostitution, things like that, and we change what their life looks like, looks like long-term. So. Huge social good um, yeah. effort that you're involved in and have been for a few years, right, mm-hmm. Tanner? Yeah, you want to hear the story? Yeah, let's start with... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's hear the story of how you came to Mothers Without Borders, and then even before that, too. How did you get into this line yeah. of work? And So let me start by just a little bit about me. So, I, like, core values about me, okay? Um, adventure, connection, and uh, freedom. Hmm. Um, and then I would add creation. Like, I love building things. I like to be free to kind of explore and do things the way I want. I like adventure. I like things to be fun and entertaining. It's like, I want more than just like, you know, I'm just doing what I do every day. Um, and so when I was at BYU, um, I had a, I had a friend who had served an LDS mission in Ethiopia and he had some friend, some friends that he had met while he was on his mission who were unemployed and had no prospects. And so we sat down one day and we're talking about how, you know, education system's great. It'll be great one day to graduate and go do something, but I want to do something now. So this was kind of the beginning of my first ever attempt at you know, founding or creating some kind of a company. And um, so we did a bunch of market research and uh, came up with a whole bunch of bad ideas, tested them, they didn't work. 
Um, but we ended up stumbling on an idea to um, sell reading glasses, which turned out to have a, a pretty profitable um, uh, business model. And um, so I ended up going, and I can share more about this story if you guys are interested, but I, I ended up going to Africa having no idea about anything. I'd never been before. I had no idea what to expect. Um, Just like a briefcase full of cash <laughs> from your glasses sales? Oh, really? Okay. Because the glasses sales were happening there. Oh, and so okay. So I was bringing product. And it's one of those t- things where when I landed in the airport, I went to go through customs and they're like, do you have anything to declare? And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I don't know what the laws are. And this is, you know, are they going to arrest me? I have <laughs> these <all> three suitcases <laughs> right here. They're full of product. <laughs> it was crazy. I did not get arrested. Um, Good. They did look at me goofy, like, what are these for? And I just said, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to help people with you know, glasses. <laughs> I'm just really blind. I need all of these for different situations. <laughs> yep. So anyway, I, I spent some time there. Um, it was actually one of the core lessons that I've learned that kind of guide, like a guiding principle today where um, we tried all these different methods of, of selling these glasses. The reality is in Ethiopia, it's very similar to Zambia. There's like pe- people don't have money. And so if you don't have money, not only do you not have any, any means to buy glasses, there's nobody out helping you recognize that you have a problem here. Like no, like for our kids, they find out in kindergarten that they have bad eyesight or second grade or something because there's somebody in the system that's checking. And so we had an 18-year-old kid. We tried all these things. They all failed. Then we had this 18-year-old kid who had a suit. It was like one of his three outfits. He had a suit and he had a little briefcase, kind of like what you're saying. And he, he had this idea. He'd go to businesses and he would offer free eye tests um, for people who were employed at these business, like, you know, kind of at a, a place where there's a bunch of different businesses. And then um, they would check, they would test the eye, the glasses, and they would realize, okay, this is what it looks like. It's like their first moment realizing this is what it means to have good eyesight. Everybody else sees this way. I don't see this way. And then he would say, I'm sorry, I'm out of inventory. I don't have anything. And then he would show back up with a 50% off sale on payday because they were paid in cash and they'd walk past and he'd say, Hey, you remember me? We did this test. I'm offering these 50% off. They had cash, they'd buy them. And it kind of blew up the, the company in, into a, into a company. I mean, there were, there were six employees. Our goal was just to get these guys enough income that they could go to college. And at some point we kind of just let go and let them figure it out. And they ran it and they ended up putting five guys through college through the money that they made there. So that's kind of where uh, cool. I got I got hooked on Africa through that experience. And uh, the big lesson I learned was local wisdom. Like, who who am I to think I can I can figure this problem on the other side of the world? I had no idea what I was like. I look back and think about some of the ideas that I had, and I've I've learned a lot in the ten years since then. And it's just it's funny. It's kind of fun to look back and and laugh at uh, some of the obvious mistakes, but also. Like this is core to what we do at Mothers Without Borders. It's all focused on local wisdom. Like let the locals come up with the solutions to the problems because they know them. They just need some of the support and some of the, you know, some of the resources that we can provide. So that that's where I first got, kind of got hooked in in Africa. Then I went and did grad school. I got a master's in global health in Boston at Boston University, and um, had to do a uh, practicum, like a summer long internship. Um, And I had everything lined up to come back to Salt Lake and work with a refugee agency here. And um, it it fell through last minute. I couldn't get a hold of them. It's 
like, what's going on? I talked to all these different people at the office. Everything was lined up. I just need somebody to sign my paperwork. So I took a breath and thought, okay, um, maybe there's reason to this. Maybe there's purpose behind this. And so I kind of let go and said, all right, if there's somewhere I'm supposed to be this summer, I'm now open to it. I'm not tunnel visioning this one experience that I had been planning. And the next day I got a call from a board member of Mothers Without Borders who said, this is kind of the situation that I, that I entered Mothers Without Borders in. He said, we've, we've had this organization around for a long time, uh, founded by Kathy Headley, who has created a remarkable organization. She's the only full-time staff member in the United States. There's a part-time uh, kind of bookkeeper assistant and everything else is in country. And she's in her mid-60s and there's kind of no retirement plan. And so he came in as a board member uh, with that kind of as his main objective, like let's help build a U.S. fundraising and operations team so that if Kathy ever wants to retire, it doesn't mean that Mothers Without Borders dies. And so he he uh, he knew my dad. That was Spencer Hewlett, That's right? Spencer Hewlett, yes. Love that guy. I Shout know. out to Spencer. Spencer, thank you. <laughs> um, so he knew my dad, and he the quote that I'll, I'll never forget is, um, he said, well, if you're anything like your dad, we want to take a shot on you, um, which speaks to the privilege that I have because of where I was raised and the family I happen to be born into. Great dad, obviously. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's incredible. And, um, anyway, Mothers Without Borders took a shot on me and I came for a summer internship, which I was the first to come and do something like that. And I think it was on day three that I realized, okay, I think I found my home. Wow. Um, the, my biggest concern in taking the internship was I didn't see a job opportunity. And it's like, I'm taking a big gamble here. Like, what if I, you know, have a great internship and help them with whatever I'm off to do? And then, oh, sorry, we don't have any full-time work. I mean, I had two kids and my third on the way. It's like, I have to be able to provide for my family. And um, I spent the summer trying to figure out, okay, what skills can I develop? What value can I add? Um, how can I convince this group to hire me on? And they did. <laughs> Such a cool uh, And that was, that was almost eight years ago. So and now you're since. sitting here as CEO yeah. of Mothers Without Borders. That's such a great story. Did you know anything about the organization when you were going to start with them? I mean, sounds um, like you came into a cold. Well, right? it's funny because we're based here in Provo, and I went to BYU, and I'd never heard of it. Um, and, yeah, I checked the website when I was thinking about doing the internship, and it was it hadn't been updated in three or four years. And there were a lot of sci- like warning signs that was like, this may not be – you know, an employable yeah. <laughs> option. <laughs> and, I'm sure and, your wife and, was like, uh, I'm a little nervous about you this. Know, she was, she's been supportive every step of the way. I think um, there's been this thing for me, like it's kind of a calling. I don't know how else to describe it. I feel like that's the best way to describe it. Um, and so I feel like I've been led every step of the way. And so even when I was in school trying to figure out what I wanted to do, like I remember even telling my parents, hey, well, I'm I'm going to work in Africa. I'm going to help people who have bigger needs. And the, the genuine, loving, sincere concern was, well, how are you going to provide for your family? And what's your backup plan? And, you know, sincere. But I just kind of knew in my heart, it's like, well, those things are already worked out. When did you know that, Tanner? That's <clears throat> interesting. Um, was it that first thing you did with the glasses or it was, was it even before, before that? that yeah. Oh, interesting. I think that's when I realized it was Africa-focused. But I knew it was like, I'm going to spend my life helping people. And I also felt like um, 
you know, the finance question, how do I provide for my family? It's like, I'll figure it out. You know, things will, and, and this has been, this has been my story. Things fall from the sky. Um, opportunities, like I've, I've done some real estate, real estate investing that's gone really well. I've had opportunities with ERC to, to be an affiliate and things have fallen from the sky that like I, I literally have to pinch myself. It's like, I have my dream job. I am 33. Like, I don't know. People told me forever. It's like, well, have dreams, but don't get too attached. You know, (laughs) it's like, well, I'm here and I'm, I'm loving it. So, so did, do you, can you remember the moment or the time frame roughly when you knew that that's what you were going to dedicate your life to is helping others? Is that, was there an experience or something or what? That's powerful. Um, Lots of experiences. So I grew up doing humanitarian work. Like my dad, he's just kind of like deep and insightful. And um, he kind of knew the moments, you know, and with my mom, but they would, um, they'd plan humanitarian trips. Like I remember going to Mexico, I think I was 12 and we gave our Christmas to an orphanage and I was so mad. It's like, I want to spend my Christmas snowboarding with my friends and and now I look back I'm like ooh that's a little cringy that I was like mad about this incredible opportunity to go to Mexico and have not only this great um, vacation but also that was some of the earliest seeds that were planted for me I think that well, I want to spend my life helping people and and I think a lot of it comes from meeting the end of the local individuals like at this particular one in Mexico um, I think it was a Catholic run organization and so they were nuns who were um, watching these kids and oh my gosh they gave their whole life like they don't take days off they don't really get paid you know and being a nun they had devoted their entire life to just helping wherever they were I mean it's like wow like I can give a little bit I can give my my Christmas and and then the feelings of fulfillment that come as you recognize transformation that's happening in other people's lives because of sacrifice, it's it's kind of addicting. Um, and hopefully you'll get to experience that with me when you come to Zambia. <laughs> Spring 2024. Here we go. Is that, is that when you're planning it? That's when we're going to go. So Kelsey and I went to the gala, and um, we've been talking about it. She actually worked for uh, the Utah Valley Eye Center. Um, while I was going to school, she put me through school, and um, they did a trip to Mali and did um, cataract surgeries. Wow. Uh, for just free for people mm. in Mali. And uh, and so she's really fascinated with going back to Africa. And she had a great experience there and loved it. And it was the same thing for her. She was just uh, just blown away. Like they had, they go to the same village every year and people will walk miles and miles yeah. to get to have this cataract surgery. And they have so big of a wait list that they only do one eye. So you can get one eye done, and then you have to come back the next year to get the other eye done. Wow. And, uh, and it's just crazy to think that they, like, live their whole lives with that issue. And it's, it's just something that we just take for granted here. So, yeah, when we came to the, the gala, we were like, yeah, we need to do a family trip. Because we're yes, looking for those opportunities nice. to, like, help our kids recognize, you know, the privilege that they have and what they're growing up with and, and also just kind of – build those values and, and those experiences to help propel them throughout their life. So it's cool to hear that your parents like did it and it was actually successful and it has kind of had a guiding influence on your life. Yeah. And I think, I think you can do that here too in some ways. Right. But, 
but it's so much more impactful when you see it all around you in those other areas, right? Where it's, that's the norm, right? They, 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 there's just no concept, you know, the, you can't really explain that or teach that unless they see it. Pretty much everybody who joins us on an expedition thinks that they are going to transform the lives of somebody else. And every single one of them has the eye-opening moment that's like, oh, dang, these problems are big. Um, I'm not going to probably be able to change anything while I'm here. And then they go through the journey of recognizing, I'm actually here for me. Yeah. Um, not in a selfish way, in a growth way. It's transformative. And as people come on these experiences and recognize, okay, I, there are people suffering and there is a part for me to play, whatever that looks like, whether that's with Mothers Without Borders or with some other organization, there's, there's more need than we can possibly um, alleviate. And as everybody kind of steps up to that calling and to me, like, well, I get to sit here in this space that I feel called to, but everybody has that in their own way, some way to be helping someone somewhere. And that's kind of what our expeditions are focused on is helping people have that awakening moment and, and say, chase that, uh, go, go do some good. And uh, that's where real transformation happens because you're doing it like with your heart. It's not, it's not emotions thing. You don't do this kind of stuff because uh, I don't know to check it off. It's like, no, it's too painful. <laughs> the things you experience are hard and the people that you meet are suffering. And when you, open to that and feel that it's like, okay, this is real. And I want to do something about it. I mean, yeah. I've always been jealous of, of people like you that have that, like understand what their calling is and like <laughs> catch it. There's a book written by a BYU professor called the zookeepers secret secret. Yeah. yeah. I was going to butcher it and say the experiment or the dilemma <laughs> or something, but it's the zookeeper secrets written by Jeff Thompson. And, uh, it's, it talks about this, uh, you know, being able to find your calling in life and how impactful it is. So it's cool that you found it. I love that. Like I'm, you know, I don't know that I've found mine yet. I'm still searching. Yes, oh, you have, Jake. You're a podcaster. I'm a Come podcaster. On. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I was made to do. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> but we're gonna find it on the way. I'm, right. I'm more like the book range, where it's like I'm gonna experiment <laughs> on like 500 different things, right. and then we'll we'll finally land. I think on I'm something. with you on that one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's cool that 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 you found that. Um, and it, it sounds like, I mean, you kind of made an entrepreneurial leap mm -hmm. joining an organization that you were like, eh, there's some warning signs that the wheels might fall off this thing at some point. Um, and, and so you've been doing an entrepreneurial role mm -hmm. at that organization. Um, and have turned it around completely, by the way. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear more about that experience. Like I know yeah. you, you probably more than you give yourself credit for, I think probably are a founder um, in your own regard. Like you're, you're rebuilding an organization or you're growing it from where it was when you kind of adopted it. Yeah. Um, so let me say this. I, I don't know that I would describe it as a turning around or anything like that. I think Kathy, our founder, her expertise is beyond anybody I've ever met when it comes to... Um, building programs that are transformative in a culture that's not here. Um, and because she's been doing it for so long, as I have gone and watched her work, so, so kind of the model of the business was she would go to Zambia, live there six months out of the year, work with our staff, do the training, create the values. She built the business in Africa. 
she would then come back and raise the money that was needed to be able to keep going. And then she'd go back and get back to work. That's not really the organization I am the CEO of. Um, she, so we have a country director in Zambia. Her name's Josephine. She, she spoke at the gala. Yeah. She's amazing. She has been working for Mothers Without Borders for 20 years. She's been our country director for maybe eight years. She's got a master, master's degree in social work. Um, she's, she's a queen. She's unbelievable. She has sort of taken on the role that Kathy founded the organization with. She creates the, the strategic direction for our programming, um, where we need to add programs, things like that. It's all Josephine. So what I spend my time doing is figuring out, okay, so if we want to scale and reach more people, uh, how do we build sustainable revenue streams? Well, that wasn't really where Kathy spent most of her time. She did what was needed to keep it going. Uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of like a totally different organization than than what she was running. And we talk about it and kind of laugh about how different my day-to-day -day is from what her day-to-day -day was eight years ago when I first you know, came around. So um, it's been... It's been a great journey, and um, I think at the core of what I do is its relationships with people here. Um, and I actually, this is part of why I think I have the dream job, and maybe just for me, maybe for everybody, I don't know. But I'm at the intersection of people like Josephine and George and Faith and the, and the humans in Zambia who spend all day every day thinking about how do we take this situation of a child who's been in horrible circumstances who are now living with us. How do we help them transform their life? I mean, oh my gosh, the sacrifice. So I'm in, the, I'm in between them. Those are the people I get to interact with when I'm there and with the kids and just oh, it's so full and rich, that experience. And then I get to come here and work with people like you who you care, you know, and I get to work with people who want to spend thousands of dollars paying for them and their families to come to Africa to see people suffer and to see them and to care about them. And so I feel like I'm just in a world surrounded by great humans. And um, that makes life really full. It's a cool perspective. I mean, what a rich way to look at life, right? Where it's the people that add all the flavor. And, um, and I love how you describe that because it's such a selfless way to live when you're a part of these organizations and doing, doing the things that, that uh, they're offering, you know? having those experiences, working with those folks and on the ground in Africa, you know, and, and I've been to the Galas too, just like Jake and, um, to see the, um, the generosity, you know, and the willingness to help it almost brings tears to your eyes, you know? And, and, um, anyway, it's just, it's been fun to watch this journey and be part of this organization in that very, very small way. So can well I tell done. you one of my favorite moments Please, of yeah. all year last year, Please. maybe, maybe my entire time since being here at Mothers Without Borders. Um, Josephine came in for the gala and she spoke there. Her first and, time here, is that right? So she's been to the U.S. several times. Okay. We've only done the gala twice. Um, so it's kind of a newer way of, you know, cultivating these relationships. Um, she wasn't able to make it the first time for COVID reasons and flight reasons. But she came this time and I don't think she really knew what to expect. Like we had told her about the one before and how much money was raised and how generous people were. Um, but she spoke and then we were both backstage as the paddle raise was happening and watching everybody. And as, as paddles go up and people are saying, I'll give $25. And then people are saying, I'll give a hundred dollars. And then 
you know, we get to the point where people are giving fifty thousand and a hundred thousand dollars. She just tears are just streaming down her face, and she she's just weeping. And having been raised in Zambia, money like that, like it's unbelievable to her that somebody would, like, because she also recognizes, or at least I recognize, most of the people who are generous like that don't don't live in the depths of the sorrow and the difficulty that Josephine lives in every single day. Um, at some level, they're just kind of saying, I believe in you to go solve these problems. And they believe in her so much that they give significant amounts of money. And it was overwhelming to her. And um, we actually were planning to have her uh, read the final number and uh, out of respect for her, not to try and make a public spectacle or anything like that. We just kind of said, do you, you know, do you want to do this? And she said, um, not this time. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those moments that was so full for me. Like, this is my, this is, full what, circle. I, this is what I get to do. Yeah. I get to bring great, generous humans and miracle workers into the same room, so to speak. And in that moment, it was actually tangibly, physically in the same room. And that's where the magic happens, and lives are transformed. We reached 36,000 people last year in Zambia um, through a lot of our outreach work and um, had 6,000 people enrolled in our programs day-to-day, which directly transforms their existence. So the impact is big, and, yeah, I don't know. I get to sit in the middle of between these so things. Cool. It's just great. Remind me of the – they had a number of meals that you served on a – Monthly basis or a yearly basis or something. I don't remember that number, but it was astronomical. Last year, we provided about 800,000 meals last year. Is that How much has that grown over time? Oh, we were just looking at these numbers the other day. So um, so we've grown a lot in the past four years specifically. So I think when I came eight years ago, we had maybe 20 staff members in Zambia. We now have 85 um, full-time employed staff members running everything, all Zambian. Um, in terms of meals, we have, let's see, I, I think we probably did close to 150,000 like three years ago, four years ago. So when COVID hit, it actually had a really unexpected impact across the world that we don't talk about a lot here in the United States. Um, in Zambia, you kind of live life outside, right? Like school classrooms, like, they're open, open air kind of classrooms, right? So COVID is not nearly as transmissible in that kind of a setting that, as it is compared to here. On top of that, the diseases that they're facing on a regular basis, HIV, malaria, things like that, there's a lot of drugs in circulation that they're now finding um, actually you know, prevent COVID from being very significant. Like if you're on regular HIV medication, it kind of attacks other things too, right? Um, so long story short, COVID affected in terms of um, cases and deaths significantly less in places like Zambia than it did here. Well, the government in Zambia is dependent on governments like the United States government for funding that goes into all these avenues. And so a lot of their objective is we got we to gotta look good to the U.S. government. So if the U.S. government is saying, lock down schools, lock down this, then they're going to do it too. So they did. Well, in an economy where most people are living on whatever they can make that day, if they don't make money that day, they don't eat that day. 
and then the government shuts things down and you're not, you're not allowed to leave your house. Hundreds of thousands of people have starved to death as a result of COVID protocols put in place by governments across the world. And, and we never heard, I don't know if you guys ever heard any of that data. It's like, nobody's talking about that. And that's part of, it's, I mean, that's part of what I feel my calling is, is it's like, there are people whose voices aren't heard. Well, I wanna help give them a voice. And this is one of those situations where as we were getting reports from our, from our staff in country and then going and visiting and seeing, it's like the desperation and the hunger was unbelievable. And so we actually, sort of, we, we had some feeding programs that were more attached to the programs we were already running. And at that point, it's like, we gotta respond. And we had a lot of generous donors who stepped up and, and yeah, now we have sustainable avenues. Most of the way that we give food is through school feeding programs, like a lunch feeding program in schools that already exist, but don't have any lunch. And what we find is um, the school enrollment doubles like overnight because there's all these kids just staying home, helping their parents try to make some kind of an income. Well, if there's food at home, it release, it relieves some of the burden at home if they just go to school and get lunch there. And so you're finding enrollment going from 300 to 500 or 600 literally overnight because there's a lunch meal there. Wow. So it's pretty, it can be pretty desperate. And in, in, I mean, it is, it's, it's, there's a lot of suffering in the world and. Yeah. It's incredible what you're doing, Tanner. I love what you're doing. The mission is awesome. Tell us about the experience that, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about families going and having an experience, an excursion there and, and just what, what does that look like for a couple, a family, a person? How does that work? Yeah, so depending, we have a couple different types of experiences. The one that people who have been with us in the past are most familiar with is called a Knowing Love Works Personal Growth Expedition. Um, we believe that the best way to change the world is, is to start with yourself. And uh, there's a lot of values and principles that we kind of live by inside of our company surrounding love and compassion and uh kathy's quote you know that's kind of in fact i saw <laughs> her quote is love works and it's the only thing that does and we actually got a picture sent to us a couple weeks ago somebody got it tattooed on their arm <laughs> but um it's core to who we are we really it's kathy do, next she's got to do it as I well i know she needs <laughs> yeah she needs to get a tattoo um but it's it's core to who we are it's like if you're if your work is about caring for vulnerable children it has to be done delicately. I mean, most of the kids that we work with have been through trauma and, and pretty severe abuse. I mean, some of them have lived on the streets. Like I said, there's, um, anyway, I can, I can get into stories if you want more stories, but um, as a result, it can be overwhelming when you come on these experiences. And so this, this Knowing Love Works experience is aimed specifically at saying, we're probably not gonna solve this problem. Like it's global. We can solve it for individuals, um, but we can transform ourselves. That's where we do have some power to make a difference. And in so doing, you're kind of unleashing something to the world that will go on and have all sorts of impact. So we offer those kinds of experiences. Those are 11 days on the ground. We teach personal growth classes, uh, being present, being still, things that will transform your life uh, if, if you live by them. Um, we also offer kind of corporate type experiences. We have a, a group called MyMedic, uh, a company based in Salt Lake that's joining us this May, um, kind of a corporate team. And that's a shorter experience. We can kind of cater that to the needs of whoever's looking for it. Um, 
And then we, we do these vision trips that are sort of aimed at our, our most valuable donor relationships and, you know, come and see the work that your donations have, have contributed to. And then, like you said, the family team. So we kind of, we have a variety. It's really about creating an experience that's kind of custom made for whoever wants to come with us. I'd say if you're interested in coming with us, check out our website. We've got some great videos that show it. Um, Africa's not in everyone's heart. And that's totally okay. I know I've talked to a lot of people and this isn't their thing. Totally okay. There are people like me and most of the people that I work with at the office and our team leaders and a lot of the people that come on teams with us that say, since I was young, I've always felt like Africa's just in my heart and I've been looking for the opportunity. If you felt that in any, in any way, go on our website, watch the video about you know, coming on a trip to Africa with us and you'll know pretty fast if this is for you or not. So I'm really impressed with just you know, the story and, and how the organization has grown and, and the impact that you're having and with how long it's been going, I'm sure you have lots of stories of, uh, the impact that you're having on individuals. Is there any that sticks out like in your mind? Yes. So because we've been in Zambia for 23 years, um, we're to the point now where we've got kids who came to us when they were five who are now in their you know, mid-late 20s. And it's been one of the most rewarding things of the past couple of years is to get some of these stories. So there's one in particular that I wanted to share. When I first went, like in 2015, seven, eight years ago, um, I had met most, most of the kids that stay at our orphan care facility um, I think I mentioned earlier, they come from really, really traumatic backgrounds, which even if you were experiencing these things here, the odds of having any kind of productive life is pretty small. In Zambia, when you've been, when your parents have passed and you're on the streets, living on the streets, um, prostitution is often the way that they provide for themselves. So a lot of the kids that we have come into our facilities have been sexually abused. And we're talking like seven-year-olds. So it's pretty, it's pretty bleak from the outset. So I remember on my very first trip meeting a handful of these kids, and one in particular, um, and I, I'm not going to share her name just for privacy's sake, but I remember thinking, oh, man, she just, she's just dark. Like there's, there's no light in her eyes. Um, and I asked some of, our, some of our staff about her, and she had HIV, and somehow that had become, well, they don't know, the other kids don't know, but sometimes they tease each other. Like if they're really skinny, it's like, oh, you must have HIV. And there's so much stigma that, oof, you know, on top of the things that she'd already been through, you know, it's like even your friends, you know, aren't great supporters. Well, so rewind like one year ago now, we were asking Josephine, are there any, are there any major stories this year that you're really excited about? And we have, so when we commit to a child, we commit for the long haul. So oftentimes um, we'll support the same child for 15 years. Sometimes it's shorter if we can find a family member that can kind of take care of them. But sometimes there really isn't anybody and we're not just going to say, well, you turn 16, see ya. So we've got youth empowerment programs that, that kind of take the kids that we started with through adolescence and we stick with them until they've graduated from college and have some kind of employment and don't need us anymore. Self-reliance is really what we're aiming for. Is that because Tanner, it's more damaging to kind of start it and then stop? I mean, it seems um, like that would be really hard. I don't know that them. it's more damaging, but it's not impactful mm. in the way that we want. So, so in, in one sense, pulling anybody off the street and giving them food and education and, 
any kind of anything is like a win. And Mothers Without Borders is like, that's a great start, but we're investing for the long haul saying, let's break the cycle of poverty. If, if we just, you know, support relief efforts, then the cycles of poverty continue. But if we have development efforts and our programs are focused on long-term, let's change it so the next generation isn't living on the streets. That's really where we're aiming. So for this to work, we've got to be committed to the communities that we're working in for, I don't know, 30 years minimum, right? And so, um, so back to the story. So I asked Josephine, you know, can you tell me about a success story? And she sent some pictures of a, of a woman who was in this graduation gown who graduated from a catering college and was off seeking employment. And I said, and so I called her up and I said, okay, so tell me about this person. And she tells me it's, it's this girl that I remember from years ago. And I, I didn't believe her. It's like, you're tell, you, you must have sent me a different picture. There's no way this girl is the same girl that I met eight years ago. She was beaming and she had confidence. And, you know, so, and then I got to meet her the next time I went and talked to her. And it's like, holy cow, she has transformed. She, she does not appear like someone who has her story at all. Um, it was a remarkable experience for me. Wow. Can I share one other story that's... Yeah. Um, please. So this last year, um, we had just brought in 11 new kids to our orphan care facility, and I had heard some of the stories of how these kids came in, um, but I, I didn't know the kids yet, and so I hadn't quite associated which kid with what story. And we were out at the facilities one day, and there was this, this girl who I didn't recognize, so she was new, and she was kind of looking at me and, and kind of waving and thought, wow, she's so sweet. Like she wants to connect and she came over and held my hand. And anyway, they, they say the name of this girl and I realize, oh my gosh, this is the girl who's, she was seven years old and um, had been rescued from a site visit that we did. She was living with her mom and her grandma who had been um, trafficking her. So she had been a prostitute. Her own family. Her own family. And which... Ooh, you can go through a lot of cycles of anger and despair if you if you want to sit in that space, which I do. Every time I go, there's some level of, why am I doing this? This is hard. Um, and she, so so we had pulled her out of that space, and what I the connection that I made was, well, she was actually, like she'd been trained, like this is how you respond to males who have money. Like she wasn't actually being sweet with me. She was like soliciting. And it and anyway, I have a seven year old daughter who has the same name as this girl. And it shattered me. It's like, how can human beings be doing that to other human beings? How could a mother take their daughter? Well, if you really get to the core of that question, well, it's not like that mother is um a, a horrible human in and of herself. There is so much desperation that this is what life turns out to be. And survival. It's really. survival. They're literally just trying to survive. And um, that was a year ago, and she's still at our facilities. And fast forward to the kids that I know who have similar backgrounds, who are now you know, lawyers, accountants, thriving and succeeding. It's like the transformation is real. And that's part of what you'll get to see on, on a trip with us is you'll meet some of the, you'll meet the kids at all these various stages. It's very clear and very obvious that the more time they spend in a Mothers Without Borders program, the more confident, the more self-determined, 
the more I will create a life for myself that's worth living. And it's beautiful to watch. It's really, really remarkable. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and just the, the long-term lasting impacts you're going to have on those individuals, but also you're like planting seeds that, that, you know, for generations, it's just going to have a continued impact on the economy and the, and the area down there. Okay. So, um, I think we've talked a little bit about this, but how do people reach out? How do they get in touch with you? How do they help mothers without borders if they want to get involved? Just, yeah. What, how do they help? There's a place for everybody who wants to, to be involved, whether that's through monetary contributions, um, $10 a month, you know, $50 a month, something like that goes a long way, a lot further than people realize. Um, coming on a team with us, come experience it firsthand. Um, you know, come volunteer, get involved. Our, our gala that we were talking about earlier, it takes 50 people, 50 volunteers to pull that thing off. And it's part of why it's such a remarkable experience is because the behind the scenes team, which is mostly volunteers, is a remarkable team. Uh, it kind of depends on what your skill set is. But uh, if you have a heart for this kind of stuff, if you're listening to these stories and saying, I want to do something about that, then reach out. Look up our website, um, you know, submit the contact form, and or just come to our office and come say hi. And, yeah, we'll find a place. So. Heck, yeah. So great. Tanner, was there anything else that, um, you know, the last part of the podcast is just giving you the floor on anything else you wanted to talk about today that we may not have gotten to? Anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, there is one thing, and that is, I think, maybe this is specific to your audience where we're talking about entrepreneurs and things like that. There are really some creative things that can be done, like for corporations and, and companies with, with groups like us. And I think that sometimes um, issues like this feel too distant or they feel too big, and it's, and it's kind of like, I don't know. I would just encourage everybody to find the cause that, breaks your heart and do something with it, you know? And, and if you're a leader of a company, um, there's plenty of things to get busy and distracted with. And I, I would invite everybody to consider uh, how you're giving back, whether that's through Mothers Without Borders or somewhere else, because people are suffering and uh, it's important that we see them and it's important that we get involved and do something. So. Love that, Tanner. Thanks for uh, being one of our most heartfelt podcast episodes and tying in entrepreneurship as well. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks Good for luck with me. everything without Mothers Without Borders. It's great. Thanks, guys. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.